Welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast. I'm Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. We're your co-hosts on this journey of creativity and productivity. I Create Daily is for artists in every genre of creating, from musicians to writers, crafters to inventors, bloggers to entrepreneurs. I Create Daily is a movement for creators serious about your art. If you're into creating anything, this podcast is definitely for you. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of the I Create Daily podcast, a movement for creators serious about their art. I'm Devani. And I'm Leora. And our guest today, David Young, is an author, musician, singer, songwriter, public speaker, meditation teacher, visual artist, and intuitive channeler. As an author, David's latest book is titled The True Story of Jesus and His Wife, Mary Magdalena. Their untold truth through art and evidential channeling. As a visual artist painter, David creates beautiful intuitive art he calls channeled painting, which we will link to in this podcast show notes. But should you wish to be perusing it while we're talking with David, um, you can find that at davidyoungart.com. As a musician, David has recorded 60 albums and sold over 1 million copies and is a twice Grammy-nominated musician who plays two Renaissance flutes at one time in harmony. You can read and hear more about that at davidyoungmusic.com. David Young is also a healer and an evidential channeler. Well known for its soothing sounds and healing properties, David's music is a staple in hospitals and healing centers and spas throughout the country. John Hopkins Medical Center is one hospital that has entire floors playing David's music 24-7. As a musician, teacher, and speaker, David travels through the country hosting over 350 of his signature workshops, a portal between heaven and earth. These meditation workshops combine David's healing music with guided meditations where countless attendees continuously report phenomenal spiritual experiences. We're eager to learn more about this multifaceted author, artist, musician, and teacher. Welcome, David Young. Thank you, guys. Nice to be here with you. It's great to have you. So, wow, that is so much. You've created so much. So before we dive in to all the elements of your creative work, how did you begin? Um, how did I begin my music or my art or the workshops? Which part? Like, just take us back to before you were such an accomplished creator. What began this journey for you? Oh, I started playing music in third grade in Brooklyn, New York, and I got really good at the recorder, Renaissance flute, and I became the youngest person in the New York Recorder Guild and advanced performing group when I was about 10 years old. You know, I think I was the only person who wasn't gray, you know, because everybody was in their 60s and 70s and was gray. Um, All right, that wasn't so funny, but it's the truth. And... uh, um, so I just kept playing the recorder. In high school, I started to play guitar. I got into rock music. I played in rock bands all over the country. I ended up in Los Angeles in 1990. I ran out of money. I was 30 years old. Like most people come to Los Angeles, eventually you run out of money, you know. And I started playing my flutes at Venice Beach. Um, I met a woman who played the harp. Uh, we, we hit it off as, as friends, and we made a tape with my last $100. It was called Celestial Winds. We sold 10,000 copies of that tape. 
And then we started playing at art festivals all over the country. And the following two years, we sold 100,000 CDs together. And then we split up. And I started doing, you know, doing this solo. And I would fly to 40 cities a year, like 40 weekends in different cities, playing music at art festivals from about 1993 till about 2003. And, um, you know, then I started to... uh, just to paint and I started to write books and in 2014 I I started to do these meditation events um, and you know ever since people have been having these amazing experiences reconnecting with their mom or their grandfather um, somebody who they loved in the heavenly dimension that died young and you know at this point over 7,000 people have had an experience that they shared with the group of either having a conversation with one of their loved ones or a conversation with one of the ascended masters or archangels. So, you know, Jesus, Mother Mary, and Jesus's wife, Mary Magdalene, have have appeared to over a thousand people at my events. Buddha, Krishna, Moses, Saint Germain, Archangel Michael have appeared to over a thousand people in addition, and then over 5,000 people have had an experience with their grandmother or their dad or somebody who they love in the heavenly dimension. And I, I had no idea that this was going to become part of my life because I thought I was just a good flute player, you know. Wow. So were you, so, so were you spiritual at all? Oh, yeah. When I was, oh, yeah. When I was 22, I started to meditate, and um, I didn't have a beer or a glass of wine or smoke anything from the time I was 22 till I was 52. I lived a very spiritual life, a very pure life. Um, I, I have to say it wasn't really that much fun back then because <laughs> there weren't that many people who were interested in spirituality. Um, back in the 80s and the 90s, it's amazing how, how many people are interested in spirituality. It's like most people are interested in spirituality now. And so it's nice to still be part of this whole thing um, and have a place for it um, with, with the work that I do and with my music and the stories of what people have experienced. Because these stories that people share at the events, um, they're so powerful. You know, whether it's a, a woman who lost her husband in 9-11 and hadn't seen or had any closure with her husband for 13 years when she came to my event. And while I was playing the flute in meditation, her husband appeared to her and she was able to finally have closure because he showed her all around heaven and it's pretty awesome place over there. And, and he told her that, you know, just do everything you can do to find happiness in in life um, because that's important. And don't worry about me because I'm in a good place. So I've heard those kind of things 5,000 times from people. And it's a unique thing to see a pattern um, and a message that people have from the heavenly dimension to us still alive here in this physical dimension. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. We'll uh, touch back in with the patterns that you've observed uh, in a, a couple minutes. But we could back up again just a little bit to we totally get the concept of how a musician artist um, could easily move into painting and visual arts because you know creativity is just once you are in the realm of creativity it just naturally wants to expand into a number of different realms it also makes sense that if you are living a very meditative and relatively clean life then that you would be open and receptive to 
um, positive higher influences. But totally. when did it, it's, so like, it, did it begin for you that it was just people started reporting to you or were you um, incorporating, consciously incorporating spiritual components in with your music and workshops and then it began to happen? Like how conscious a process was that for you? Well, the music process was way before the painting process. Um, and because I had been meditating for a long time, when I started to play this, this spiritual music with my flutes, you know, I played two of these flutes at one time. Um, one of the things that I noticed in my meditation is like the first 10 minutes of your meditation is like a warm up. You know, nothing good happens in the first 10 minutes because your mind is so used to being active and thinking and planning and doing all these things that our minds are accustomed to do every day. So the first 10 minutes, it takes at least 10 minutes for your mind to settle down so you can have some space in between your thoughts, you know, because in that space is where we can receive, you know, if you had two radio stations playing by one by this ear and one by this ear, you wouldn't really be able to benefit anything because there'd be all this mumbo jumbo happening. Right. right. Um, but once you turn down the radio station of your mind and, and that takes, let's say 10, 12 minutes to do that then you're in a place to receive so you can actually hear what spirit or life or your spiritual guides are trying to get through to you, you know? So <clears throat> when I started to make CDs, I wanted my CDs to have that spiritual feeling that I would get after meditating for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Because after 30 minutes, you were in a deeper space. There was way more space in between your thoughts, in between my thoughts. And, and there's that, that beautiful spiritual vibe you get after meditating for like 20, 30 minutes. And so when I was recording and mixing my albums, I wouldn't feel like it was complete, like it was done until the music gave me that feeling that I felt after 30 minutes of meditating. And so sometimes people will say, wow, I put in your CD and like a minute after I put in the CD, I'm already feeling that deep state of inner peace and that, that calm and that heavenly feeling. And that's because, you know, I, I want there to be that much energy in it so people can feel it right away. Definitely. So, Sorry, go ahead. So that was the musical part. And that started in 1990. You remember 1990, right? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> <Very funny. laughs> so, vaguely, right? Maybe in another lifetime in 1990. Um, but so when I started to play at these art festivals in 1993, you know, just imagine I'm playing the flute with a woman who's playing the harp. My original CDs were called Celestial Winds, and that's you know, that's I traveled as a group with this harp this 1993 and 1994. And just imagine that I'm playing at this art festival, basically from 10 o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night, because yeah. um, that was the hours of the art festival. And, um, you know, that was before the digital age and when CDs were the new thing. So, I mean, it was possible to sell hundreds of CDs every day. I mean, I actually sold over a thousand CDs at one art festival in one day. Um, and those were the days that was an amazing time to be a musician, but just imagine I'm playing the flute all day long and, you know, we, we would have somebody there selling the CDs for us. And because I was playing all day long, after a while, my relaxing music was really affecting me and relaxing me 
as well. And I would be playing the flute in this kind of altered state, you know, just looking at artwork in the booths around me all day long. So let's say from 10 in the morning to five o'clock at night, I was looking at artwork and I could tell when there was artwork that really moved me. And then I could tell when there was artwork that didn't really move me, you know? So just imagine for 15 years, I was looking at artwork Mm. six hours a day um, and in this altered state. So I think that somehow that went into my mental system, you know? So when I started to paint in, you know, in 2011, uh, I painted for two years. I made about 30 paintings and I used to make these little copies of them that I would sell along with my music. And I was amazed how many people wanted to buy, you know, these little six inch by six inch pieces of of some of my paintings, you know. So I painted for a couple of years and then um, I stopped for about three years because I was just so busy traveling and doing these meditation events. And then in 2016, I started painting again and I thought I was just making abstract paintings. You know, most of them didn't really look like they were supposed to be anything. And so during that time period, I made 150 paintings that were between four feet and seven feet. You know, there were some of them that were small, but the majority were between four feet and seven feet that I thought were just abstract paintings. And then what happened was that there were so many people who were having experiences I call it the family, Jesus, his wife, Mary Magdalene, and Mother Mary. I call them the family because it's easier because there's a lot of syllables. Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, you know, it's a lot. So um, they had become a real active, interactive part of my life because so many people were having experiences with them at my events. Mm -hmm. And my ex-girlfriend, she was an amazing channeler. And so... You know how easy it is for you to call one of your friends on the phone. It's just so simple, right? Well, it was that easy for the family to call me through Mimi, except they just didn't need a phone because she was an amazing channeler. And um, they told, this is a very involved story, but one of the things they said is that um, after about a year of, of this channeling, they told us they wanted us to go to the south of France. So we ended up going to the south of France, and they showed us three places where Jesus and Mary Magdalene lived after Mother Mary had taken over guardianship of their three children after that terrible day. Um, And it turned out that a lot of these paintings that I had made a year before, once I went to France and saw where they lived at this cave at the top of a mountain in the south of France near St. Maximin, I had painted these places where they lived. Wow. You know, so it was such an incredible surprise for me to realize, like, wow, I, I, I thought those were just abstract paintings. Um, so if you have another question, ask me another question, and then I'll show you some pictures afterwards, you know. Well, so, yeah. There's so Sorry. much yeah. to yeah. go into with that. Just be, It's almost like you weren't just meditating. It was like you were living a meditative life and, like, all this energy and art and creativity just – was like ready to happen like through you which is pretty yeah. incredible Setting the stage. yeah yeah so uh, i did wonder when you were um playing music and tuning into the paintings did you notice if any of the paintings influenced your music i think it was the other way around because whenever i painted i listened to my music 
-hmm. you know um and what would happen sorry, because sorry. i what i meant is like when you were doing the art festival and street musician and all that and as you were playing your music all day looking at the art around oh. did you know oh, yeah. that your music changed as a result of that um well actually it's it's going to sound funny but it's really the other way around because there were thousands of artists who would exhibit at these art festivals between for me it was between 1993 and about 2007 and so these artists when they were exhibiting they would come to my booth and buy my music and literally thousands of people because if i did this 40 weekends a year and if 10 artists at every show came over and bought some of my music so they could take it home and then paint to it mm. you know that's that's a lot of a lot of artists that were using my music for creative inspiration for their art right. you know um and you know the art festival circuit in the united states in the 90s was tremendous you know there were art festivals and people were buying art all the time because most people back in the 90s had two houses they had their regular house and then they would have a summer home or or a vacation home you know so that meant they needed art for two homes you know um, and that changed during the housing crisis but um, it was really rewarding for me to go back to the same art festivals each year and to have these painters come come over to me and say I've been listening to your the CDs I bought from you last year, 10 hours a day, every day, and everything I've created over this last year has your energy in it because I was listening to your music while I was making it, you know? So that was really a beautiful thing, but because I never had a talent for drawing, I would have never thought of picking up a paintbrush because that was, that was ridiculous, you know? I couldn't draw, so why would I even try to pick up a brush, you know? And the way, um, the way this whole thing came about, you know, I did start to paint when I was dating a woman who was a painter, and I, I guess I had a, a natural talent for putting colors together in a nice way, and um, that's how that, that evolved. Okay, wonderful. Well, it just makes sense that, you know, your journey... Again, you were meditating and doing music, both of which synchronize the brain waves and make them more receptive to higher impressions. Yeah. Um, and so then, then you discovered you know, later that your paintings actually were connected to something higher and deeper. Um, before we get into that and how your book evolved and what is um, evidential channeling, if you could uh, get, uh, talk a little bit about how your music came to be used in healing environments, or is it that that should come after uh, in, in, in the chronology of your story? I, I, like, I like talking about that right now because um, back when I was playing at Venice Beach, um, people, you know, we used to set up in the same place at Venice Beach. This is from 1990 to 1992, okay? And people used to say there was like this bubble of love that was around us when we were playing at Venice Beach because Venice Beach is a pretty crazy place you know it's just i say that there's like um it's like the noah's ark for the psychic and insane because there's two of every kind of crazy person you can imagine at this beach i mean what i saw in two years of playing at that place wow you know it was just you know there was there was a lot of everything yeah. at Venice Beach and people used to talk about this love that that used to surround us like in this bubble of love and so people would come back 
you know, because they knew we were always there in the same spot every Saturday and Sunday. And I found that whenever a massage therapist came up to where we were playing, they would buy everything that we had. Hmm. Um, and, you know, when you're trying to make a living and your best customers are massage therapists, um, you know, it doesn't take a consultant to figure out that that's really working great. Yeah. And um, so eventually I started to play music at the spa conventions. Mm. So everything with anti-aging and massage therapy and that whole gigantic industry. And I was the first musician to be playing, performing at a booth at these conventions that would have, you know, 40 or 50,000 women, because that's the majority of, you know, the people in the spa industry are women. And, you know, they would play my music all day long in their spa. Um, and people would have their eyes closed getting a massage or, you know, some kind of skin treatment. And just imagine somebody's laying there with their eyes closed. They're listening to this beautiful music. They're starting to have visions. And they're starting to relax. And they could, you know, it totally opened up spiritual channels for people because they had their eyes closed. And what else are you going to do for, if you have your eyes closed for an hour? You know, so that's how my music made its way into the spa industry. And between um, 1997, when I started to do the spa conventions in 2007, uh, you could get a massage anywhere in the United States or Canada, and you'd have a 50% chance it was my CDs that were playing all day long in these places. So that's how I found out that um, there was a, a place for my music and there was a healing benefit um, by doing those spa conventions and getting constant feedback uh, from, from, from the people because they needed music. And you, that was before the digital age. And the only way you could have good, consistent music was by buying a CD and playing it in your spa. And if you're, and you were everywhere at that time in terms of like you were playing at these shows, you were consistently showing up at the different conventions. And so if they knew like, well, one of your CDs works, so we'll just keep, getting these because this works mm -hmm. and they have to create that soothing environment. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a beautiful thing when I figured that one out. I'll tell you that. Definitely. You and then how did you get it into John Hopkins? Um, somebody from, from the hospital in the management area bought some of my CDs and just loved it. And they just loved the energy that it brought into, in, into the hospital. You know, and I actually, I didn't even know that they were using my music in, in all of those areas for like three years after when this person came back to me and um, she thanked me so beautifully because, you know, my music is a part of that environment over there, you know, all the time. Wonderful. Fantastic. So, okay, so then take us through, and we want to maybe at the end of the interview, talk a little bit about your business outlets for selling your art and creativity today, but let's get back into the going toward the intuitive journey and the unfolding for you. I mean, you were beginning to hear stories from people, you discovered the art, you know, the France correlation, but just elaborate on all of that for us, if you would. Well, I've done 400 events in the last four years. 400 meditation events called a portal between heaven and earth. And it's usually about a two and a half hour event. In the first half hour, I talk and I, I explain how 
the physical dimension interacts with the heavenly dimension. Okay, so if you think of an hourglass, the bottom part of the hourglass is the physical world, and the top part of the hourglass is the heavenly world. Okay, and I, I have found a way of between making people laugh and making people relax and between playing the flute and telling them things that just open their mind because our minds are like umbrellas. They're only useful if they're open. You know, what can you do with an umbrella if it's closed? If you're not James Bond, you know, he finds good things to do with it, you know, <laughs> but for everybody else, for the rest of us. <laughs> you know, when our minds are open, that's, that's when good things happen. And all of the people that we consider geniuses, in this world are only people who are learning to tap in to their higher consciousness and to receive messages. You know, I mean, there's not that many investors that want to investors. I meant inventors. Um, I must have investors on my mind. There's not that many inventors that would give all the credit of their inventions to their spiritual guides, mm -hmm. but that's where it comes from. See, there's a, there's a misconception about what our intuition is because most people are taught that our intuition comes direct from spirit to our soul and that's where it comes from. But that's not really correct. That's not what I've learned is the way it really works because every single one of us has spiritual guides that are working with us to try to help make our life better. Okay, so when you have an idea or a thought that comes into your head and you're like, where did that come from? And you follow it and something awesome happens and we take credit for it. But it's really that information because our spiritual guides are already in the heavenly dimension. They get the information before we get it down here at the lowest level of all in the physical dimension. So our spiritual guides get a message for us. They give that to us. Sometimes we can't tell if it's our own thought. Sometimes it just feels like an odd feeling, like, gee, why am I getting the feeling to cross the street if I don't need to cross the street? You know, and that nagging feeling doesn't go away, and you finally cross the street, and you bump into your best friend from 25 years ago that you would have never seen if you hadn't listened to that nudge that was guiding you to cross the street. Well, that's the way inventions are made. You know, and that's all the things that are that we would consider consider genius things. It's really not that complicated. Those people are just listening to their inner the the messages coming from their guides. Right. In your it's experience, in your experience, um, what do you where do you connect with the guidance from your own soul as well as your inner guides? Well, honestly, it gets to a certain point where you're, you can't tell anymore if it's your idea or their idea. That's really, it gets to a certain point where it's like, just seems like the right thing to do, you know, and you follow it, you know. And I have a, my first book was called Divine Inner Guidance. And it was about the incredible things that happened when I listened to my intuition, as well as the incredible things that happened if I didn't listen to it, because they were both in incredible. One batch was enjoyable. The other batch was not enjoyable. Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, sometimes we don't want to listen to our intuition because as humans, we have you know, a little natural stubbornness sometimes. You know, I want to do it my way. I don't want to do it, you know, 
whatever way I'm being guided to do. And um, eventually, you know, we learn that it's, it's more enjoyable to live life when you listen to that guidance. Yes. And so to, uh, describe then evidential channeling. Okay. Well, channeling is when you get a message and there's no proof behind the message. You just get a message. Okay. And evidential channeling means that there's evidence behind the channeling. Like, for example, um, my ex-girlfriend Mimi, who is a, a huge part of the book, um, she gave me a message from Jesus uh, that was a very bizarre message. He, he said, tell David that there's big news coming out of the Vatican in Rome. Now, I grew up in a Jewish family, and I never cared what came out of the Vatican in Rome. And I'm like, are you sure that message is for me? <laughs> right? And then a the week later, the new pope issued a statement that went against the Bible and rocked the Vatican. And the new pope said there is no hell up there. The only hell there is is down here on earth. Now that goes against the Bible. So that's called evidential channeling because here I had that message a week before. I guess you could say another part of evidential channeling um, would be in my paintings. Now, you have to understand I made these paintings a year or a year and a half before I went to France, before I knew any of this stuff. Um, was going to be part of a book or, or any involvement that I would have in this thing at all, right? Yeah. While you're showing the pages, if you're listening to the audio, you guys might want to cut to the video interview. Yep. So, <laughs> if you look at this, this painting over here, I thought this was, can you see it? Yes. Okay. I thought this was just um, an abstract painting. But while I was putting the book together, somebody who was working with me said, well, can't you see? This is Mary Magdalene. This is the top of her head. These are her hips over here. This is her back. And this, she's inside the cave because Jesus and Mary Magdalene lived in this famous cave in the south of France. Okay. Um, she's inside the cave. And this green part, that's the entrance of the cave. And she's looking out through the entrance of the cave at the sun in the distance. Can you see that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought this was just an abstract painting before I knew they lived in a cave. Okay. And then if you look on this side, this is the top of Jesus' head. This is his beard. Here's his back. And he's delivering their fourth child in the cave. Hmm. Wow. Can you imagine what a surprise that was for me? Yeah. You know? The, the, um, the spot on the painting that you're, or the section of the painting you said was the opening, could also, from our perspective, where we're seeing it across the screen, have almost looked like um, a baby in a womb. So, oh yeah, I never I never thought of it like that. But if you yeah. think about it, I mean, what is a baby in the womb? It comes into an opening. You know, oh yeah, right. Well, you know, into the world, so to speak. So mm -hmm. that that a lot of symbology there. Yeah, a lot of symbology. Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed coming through in my paintings that there was this, this symbology that was happening that I wasn't aware of when I was painting it. Because, you know, when you make a painting that's an abstract painting, you know, let's say you paint it like this for a while, and then after a couple of hours, you turn it like this, and after a couple of hours, you turn it different angles because you're getting different perspectives. And, and I didn't know any of these things were, were happening. And then you get to the, to the end of the painting, and all of a sudden you have, um, there's this imagery and this symbology that you didn't even, I didn't do any of that stuff consciously. I had no idea 
There's a, I want to tell you that there was a painting that I made. <clears throat> I'll show you it just in a second. But this woman came to the event and she explained that um, Jesus showed up to her during her meditation and they were sitting on a cliff overlooking the ocean with these purple mountains behind, behind them, right? And after the event was over, I gave her my business card. And this painting was on the back of my business card, and she flipped out. Okay, can you see that painting? Yeah. Whoa. Okay, so she flipped out because she said, this is the cliff where I was sitting with Jesus overlooking the ocean with these purple mountains in the background. Mm. And there were three people that week that Jesus took to that place with that image with the purple mountains behind them that all shared that experience that week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We see, and we see this on your website as well. Youngart.com slash copy hyphen of hyphen soft hyphen abstracts. Or they can just go and click on the um, higher concepts um, button on your site. So yeah, it's beautiful yep. here as well. Fantastic. So so you began. Uh, I meant to ask earlier when you started meditating years ago, as well as now. Is it any particular um, discipline of meditation, or is it just your own blend? Um, I start out with this meditation that has just kind of evolved. It wasn't anything that I intentionally came up with. It was just something that kept coming through. Um, and so I do this guided meditation. And, and the guiding is probably about two minutes. And then when I'm done taking people to this place, then I start playing the flute. And it's kind of a, an interesting thing, but I did this event in Mexico City. And there were some people in the audience who didn't speak English at all. And I speak a little bit of Spanish, but I don't speak enough Spanish to do the guided meditation completely in Spanish, right? So I did the guided meditation in English. And after the meditation was over, I told people that they could, um, you know, they could share their experiences because it's always helpful um, for people to share their experiences because other people feel more comfortable after people start to share. And sometimes there can be four or five people in the same group who have had the exact same experience about things I haven't said anything about. And that's really fun for the group, for these people to realize, oh, these random things that they saw in their meditation, these random things are, you know, everybody else saw the same random things, right? So after the meditation was over, I told people they should share, but share in Spanish. Now, I speak enough Spanish where, where I can understand it better than I can speak it, right? So there were like 10 people who, who said that they started off on this beach and they got to this boat. And, you know, Jesus and Mother Mary helped them get on the boat. And these two people in Spanish who didn't understand a word of English, they said, isn't this incredible how everybody saw the same thing that I saw? How is it possible that all of you saw the same thing as me? How is that possible? And then they explained to her that I had been guiding in English, that people would start out at the beach and then eventually get onto this boat and somebody was going to meet you on this boat. Hmm. And they thought this was phenomenal because they thought it was just like, hmm. uh, you know, it just happened randomly. Yeah. If you hear some background music, I can close the door. Do I, can you hear any, anybody speaking in the background? I just, very much in the distance. I don't think it's. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's not bad. 
Yeah. So that's, you know, I have different guided meditations that I do at my event, but that, that one is the one that I've done the most. And it was, it was pretty incredible because I did this event in Florida. Oh, I think about a year and a half ago. And after guided meditation was over, this guy, this guy in the first row, he shared that um, Jesus and Yogananda and Buddha and Krishna all showed up to him at the same time. And they were just sitting around hanging out just like, like it was a normal hangout, you know. And he was amazed because he also does guided meditation. And he had been doing the exact same guided meditation that I have been doing for, for all these years. He, word for word, he was doing the exact same thing. He said it was so weird being at your event because it was like being at his own event because he randomly was given the same, the same, you know, guided imagery. Right, right. And, and when you say guided, what I was actually asking in the beginning, it's wonderful that you shared that, was also about your personal meditation practice. So are you using that particular two-minute guided meditation concept for yourself? Right. And then are you listening to your own music or what is it you're doing for yours? Well, I definitely find that listening to music is a positive thing um, in different ways also, because one, if you have earbuds in, it completely blocks out all the earthly sounds. And when we're meditating, we want to be completely disconnected from the earthly realm. You know, you don't want to hear things that remind you or bring you back into your body. Um, and, you know, I like my own music and I listen to my own music a lot, you know, I find that, um, you know, it, one of the things that whenever we repeat a certain action, it starts to become, it goes into our subconscious and it just becomes so natural. And, you know, there are times where I'll use the same CD to meditate for three or four months, just because the energy of that music, when it goes, when your ears hear that music, and you know that you meditated to that same music yesterday. It gets you into that deeper state that you got into yesterday after 30 minutes or 40 minutes. It gets you into, because your mind just naturally goes into that, um, tunes into that vibration and relaxes. And, you know, it's like kind of like Pavlov's dog, you know, where the dog hears the bell and starts to salivate. Your mind instantly hears that music that you've been listening to that month. And it naturally goes into that deeper state that that music has taken you into. Right. When you meditate, um, do you do it once a day, twice a day? Is it a morning ritual or um, is it when, when do you, what is your habit around it? Well, I did do it in the morning. For a while, I did it in the morning and at night. And I found that if I did make the time to meditate two times in a day, it was way more powerful. Um, just because you know you're you're tuning into that higher vibration, uh, I do it whatever I can. I mean, there are times that I'll meditate for an hour or an hour and a half, just because once you get past that first fifteen minutes, let's say you get to level one, right, and then after another fifteen minutes, wow, you get to level two, yeah. and then the longer you stay in it, like there, my longest meditation was three hours because I just didn't want to come out of it because I had finally got into those high levels that it takes time for your mind to get totally relaxed. So you're not thinking anymore and you're just in that state of being and receiving. Yeah. 
Now, what you described is very similar to, uh, since, since our audience is primarily creatives, it's anyone creating anything from art, music, writing, but also businesses and products like what you mentioned. But it's like um, one of the things that, uh, a tool that we can use, you know, like meditation, you can use meditation, you can use music, but a tool to help with creativity um, when it is you're ready to create is to set the environment to the similar environment yeah. each time. So yeah. you're signaling to yourself, you're signaling to your psyche, mm -hmm. you know, that those are the things that happen, you know, when it is you're going to get creative. And so it's very similar to meditation. And then those are principles that you can apply to anything and which can also be applied negatively if you're not careful. So like you can slip into negative states and negative spaces because of things that trigger that. But what we can do is when we know that there are positive triggers, then we can choose those instead. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's really the way it is, you know. So tell us about your book. Yes. Well, um, I grew up Jewish. I never thought I'd have anything to do with anything with this, this yeah. subject, you know, like, you know, for any Jewish people who are listening, you know, in my family, we weren't even allowed to say Jesus's name in our house. Wow. Because you know, that's pretty normal for a Jewish family. It's, well, G Jesus isn't a Jewish name anyway. His real name is Yeshua. Right. Um, and most people don't know that he was a rabbi. And in order to become a rabbi, you first have to have a wife and children. You know, um, that's a pretty big deal. Because uh, in the Bible, he doesn't have a wife and children. They, uh, they remove that part. Um, so all of these people were having these experiences with them and sharing them at my events. And so I was getting to hear a consistent, I was getting to hear consistent conversations and a pattern on what he was teaching people, what he was sharing with people and how sometimes he could be really funny. Um, and, and sometimes he would be connecting people with their loved ones in heaven. Um, now, I, wanted, I want to say that there's no point putting Jesus or Buddha or Moses or Krishna on to try to figure out who's, who's the highest one. There's no point because they're all at such high levels of consciousness. It's really just a waste of time to try to do that. So um, we'll talk about Jesus a lot today, but I don't want anybody to think that he is any higher um, than all the other ascended masters because that's that's not the case mm -hmm. you know um, all the ascended masters and and the archangels they work together to help us um, because they um, they're all on the same team you could call them the heavenly team mm -hmm. and what is the purpose of a team the purpose of the team is to win the game and the game of life, what, what they're trying to do and what is happening is that they're trying to bring enough of us, light workers, up to higher states of consciousness so this way we can share that higher state of consciousness with other people. So this way this becomes, it changes the, the balance that has normally been more negative than positive in this world. They're trying to bring this world into a more balanced state where there's more positive than negative. And the way they're doing that is through using the light workers to expand the consciousness and the understanding of higher awareness and the higher knowledge. You know, the ascended masters are not looking for followers. They're looking for leaders. They're looking for people who will help raise the consciousness of the world. And there's over 50 million Americans doing meditation or yoga once or twice a week now. 
you know, the whole Oprah generation, you remember the Oprah generation, right? I mean, <laughs> the whole Oprah generation is in, in full swing world. You know, she talked about spirituality in such a down-to-earth, easy-to-understand way that it's part of the world consciousness now. Right, right. I love that, that the, the masters are not looking for followers they're looking for leaders um, that's such a different way than a lot of them we sometimes associate following and leading in those roles but it's like creating I've, i read a quote somewhere at some point and i'm sure i'll mess it up but it was something like leaders help create other leaders and yeah that's, like that's the point of being a leader it's helping other people um just like own what they do and so it just makes sense that they would be helping people lead themselves yes. essentially which is what is the making of a master it means that you've mastered yourself through self-discipline and in so doing then you're more capable of leading others as well well this reminds me of kind of a funny story because about three years ago after i don't know about 500 people had had experiences with jesus mother mary or mary magdalene as well as all the other ascended masters and the archangels right um, but one of the things that I would say towards the end of the events that I was doing after, you know, 10 or 20 people had already shared these experiences with the group, I, you know, people would ask me questions and I would say, well, it's kind of like Jesus and I are partners, but he's the boss, you know, because I felt like that was enough of a shock value statement saying that Jesus and I are partners, so the way I kind of like smoothed it out a little bit was saying, but he's the boss, yeah. right? And I did this event in Long Island, and the guy who was hosting the event, his name is John Cologne, and he's, he's one of the most spiritual people I've ever met. I mean, he, the, the work he does spiritually is at such a high level. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And right after I said, Jesus and I are like partners, but he's the boss, um, John said, uh, hold on a second, David, uh, Jesus has given me a message to give to you right now. And I'm like, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know. And he said, uh, Jesus wants to tell you that yes, you're partners, but he's not your boss. We're all working on this together as a team. You know, they don't, they, the ascended masters, they don't look down on us. They really don't look down on us and they really don't need us to call them masters because there's a connotation with the word master that they're in control of us. Um, they're not in control of us. We all have free will. They're, they're totally willing and wanting to help us in any way through teaching us things or through a healing um, or to help us accomplish our mission. Because if your mission is aligned with higher consciousness, then that means you're aligned with their mission because their mission is about higher consciousness. So, you know, it, it's all working together. Definitely. So and getting back to your book for a moment, the true story of Jesus and his wife, Mary Magdalena, their untold truth through art and evidential channeling. So who would be interested in the book? Would you like to just say something about it before we move on to the last two questions that we have for you? Sure. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> You know what it feels like to be misunderstood? Oh, yeah. Okay. And if you have a work situation where you're misunderstood by three people, it's horrible, right? Right. Well, just imagine having five billion people misunderstanding you. Mm -hmm. Now, 
First of all, um, Mary Magdalene came from a wealthy family. Okay, one of the most wealthy families in that whole area. Mother Mary introduced Jesus to Mary Magdalene when he came back when he was 30 years old. And she introduced him to Mary Magdalene at a wedding. So you can tell Mother Mary really knew what she was doing, you know? And um, because, you know, that really works. And they found out um, that they could, Jesus and Mary Magdalene could communicate telepathically because they were both on a really high spiritual level. They also found out that they had both gone to the same spiritual places to study spirituality. They had both gone from Israel to Egypt to study in the mystery schools of Egypt. And they had both separately, before they met, gone to India where they studied from the yogis and the gurus there who knew how to do magic, healing, and all kinds of cool spiritual stuff that they've been doing in India for 5,000 years. Okay. And so they met on a very high spiritual level. And, you know, they had this beautiful connection physically as well as spiritually and mentally and everything. And so they, they got married right away. They had, they had three children right away. And um, <clears throat> the problem was, was that after Jesus had traveled to all these places, he had learned that God is inside all of us because that's a basic spirituality 101 principle. You know, we can meditate, we can connect with higher consciousness, we can connect with God, and anybody can do it. The problem was, was when he came back to Israel, they were like way, way, way behind mm. the spirituality that was so common in India and in, in Egypt. And so the rabbis um, of the Temple of Solomon had convinced people for hundreds of years that the only place you could be with God was at the temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, you know? So if you went from Nazareth or Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from, that's where her last name comes from. In order to get to the temple of Solomon, Jerusalem, you'd have to walk for seven days across the desert, okay? And then once you got to Jerusalem, you'd have to pay to get into the temple and you would need a hotel, right? So you'd have to pay for a hotel, which the rabbis were in cahoots with the hotels, and you'd have to pay at restaurants to get something to eat. The rabbis were in cahoots with that also. So the, this whole temple thing was a tremendous money-making thing for the rabbis. And here comes Jesus saying, you know, I have some good news for all you guys. You don't have to walk for seven days across the desert to be with God. Because God will show, you know, God is inside every one of us. And you don't need to do that because from his perspective, that would be as ridiculous for us to be selling air. You know, I used to say that would be as ridiculous as selling water, but now people actually buy water. You know, but when I was growing up, nobody, you remember that, right? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so this is what got him into trouble because it was not good for the, for business for the rabbis, the fact that this guy was saying, you don't have to pay to get in our temple to be with God, you know, that was as ridiculous as what Christianity later made up, saying that the only way you can get into heaven is through Jesus. That's like, this, you know, you got to pay, buy a book, come here, give us your money every Sunday, you know, it's, they learned it, the Catholic Church learned how to do that from the, from the Jewish religion, because unfortunately, that's, 
that's the way it was back then. And that's what the whole trouble was. And so they arrested him for, uh, for disturbing the peace when he was actually sharing peace, mm-hmm. right? And so Mary Magdalene was friends with this Roman soldier, and this Roman soldier took him down off the cross after six hours, okay? Because normally when somebody was tortured like that, it would be a three-day thing, and nobody ever lived through that, okay? So this Roman soldier takes him down off the cross after six hours, and there was a reason for that. Because that happened on a Thursday, and it was the eve of Passover. Okay, so that meant that sundown on Thursday, he was crucified Thursday during the day, and at sundown, you know, he, his body would be taken down off the cross because there was an ancient law in Rome that said a Jewish person could not be tortured over a Jewish holiday. So that was the only reason why he had a chance to live at all. So this Roman soldier takes him down off the cross and puts him in this tomb. He lets Mary Magdalene into the tomb each day so she can change the bandages on her, on his hands and on his feet and on his rib. And her sister Martha was in there with her so she wouldn't have to go in there alone. Okay. On the third day, this Roman soldier brought a, a wooden cart that was covered by hay and a horse. Okay. The Roman soldier takes Jesus' body out of the tomb. He's in a coma. His body had gone into shock, and he was having a near-death experience. Okay. He puts Jesus' body in the center of the cart and covers up his body with the hay. Now you can't tell that there's a human being on the cart. Right. Mary Magdalene rode the horse, and that is how they escaped. And that's uh, for those who are just listening in the video. David is showing us pictures from his book that illustrate what he just described. And so the only people who knew what was happening was Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene had to make the worst decision in the world because she had to decide, is she going to stay with her husband and try to save his life? Or is she going to stay with her three children? Mother Mary ends up taking over guardianship of those three kids who are one, two, and three years old, because all this happened between the time he was 30 and 33. And those children grew up thinking that Mother Mary was her mother, their mother, but in actuality, she was their grandmother. And um, after I shared this story at Unity of Sedona, you know, it's a very popular spiritual center. I don't really want to call it a church, right? But after I shared this part of the story at Unity of Sedona, the office manager at Unity of Sedona raised her hand and she said, I'm part of a Mary Magdalene monthly channeling group where we channel Mary Magdalene each month. And we have 15 people in the group. And in our chan- one of our channeling sessions, Mary Magdalene told all 15 of us the exact same story you just said about the wooden cart, the hay, the Roman soldier, and the horse, and that's how Mary, that's how they escaped. And they said after that channeling that they got the same message that I was given, which is called evidential channeling, um, they went out and bought every single book that was channeled by Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Mother Mary, and that information was not in any book. Hmm. And so this is the first book that that information is coming out in. And this information is really important to the family that people know the truth because that, you know, in the Bible, it says that, you know, Jesus appeared to his Jewish buddies that are also known as the apostles. 
and said he was going to prepare a, a place for them. Well, that's an absolute fabrication. He was, he was hanging on for his life in a coma in the back of a, a wooden cart. I mean, he wasn't, wasn't appearing to anybody. He was, he was in a coma. You know, they added these things to the Bible, and they took out things from the Bible because they wanted to sell this story. They had an agenda. Um, the business of, of religion. Yeah, for sure. You know, if you, if, if you think about it, I don't have an agenda. What I'm telling people is that if you want to have a spiritual experience with Buddha or Jesus or Krishna or anybody, you go into meditation, you open your mind, and you be persistent and consistent, and eventually you're going you're gonna to have an experience with one of them. You know? But you see, if you can have a direct experience with one of the Ascended Masters, why would you need a Bible? Why would you need a set of rules that you don't necessarily need? Now, um, I have this new analogy that I'm using that's really working well, so I'll, I'll share this with you guys, okay? So I'm gonna ask you a couple of really simple questions, okay? So do you think that God loves you? Yes. Yeah. Okay, and do you think God wants you to be happy? Yes. Okay, and do you think God wants you to feel good about yourself? Yes. Because yes. you can do more good in the world if you feel good about yourself, right? Right. So anybody that tells you you're a sinner is not looking out for your happiness, your best interest, and is definitely not God, because God wants you to be happy and feel good about yourself. So, David, for those who are, you know, this is brand new, um, and I, mean, I, think, I think most people know that not that the Bible is missing some books, some stories, basically, some chapters. Um, yeah, that's why they call it the Holy Bible, because there's so many holes in that story. <laughs> <laughs> for those who, um, you know, for, the, for whom this is really new to be even entertaining the possibility of, you know, an alternate timeline, an alternate re reality from what they've been told all their lives, um, is, and who are not necessarily channeling for themselves, where, where did you find out additional information like about the children, about the marriage and that sort of thing? Was it all through channeling or did, did you have external sources that you research, that you use for research, that you could recommend? Well, first of all, there, there are certain cynical people who think that people who write books about this stuff are in it for the money. Um, that's not the way it is, because a book has to sell hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of copies before any writer is making any money, because it costs so much money to get involved in it. And 90% of the books that are written never sell more than 1,000 copies anyway. So that means that 90% of the books written are being done at a loss. Yes. So that, that's the first thing. Um, there were different people who it was orchestrated for me to meet as part of this whole thing. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what happens in chapter one. A woman comes to my event, she, and she comes to three events, four events. She keeps coming back to the events. She's a friend of a friend. She's a woman in her 70s. And so we become friends eventually, and we went out for breakfast, and I asked her, how did she get involved in spirituality? And she explained that she uh, was in the corporate world for 25 years, and when she retired, she decided to get interested in spirituality. So she went to her first meditation event. There were about 40 people in the room, and this woman is teaching people the basics of meditation. You, know, you close your eyes, you take some deep breaths, you clear your mind, and you wait for the first thing to come to you, 
right? So after this intro introduction, the leader of this meditation workshop tells everybody to close your eyes and they start their meditation. And so she explains to me, so her eyes are closed and she said, Jesus appeared, Jesus appeared by her left ear and Jesus whispered in her ear, can you forgive me? And she's like, why would I need to forgive you? And Jesus said, because we had to leave you when you were little because it wasn't safe to bring you where we were going. At that point, she's given an image of being one of Jesus and Mary Magdalene's three children. Well, her, she's bawling her eyes out, right? Well, the meditation ends, and the woman in the front says to her, points to her first, and says, ma'am, I just want to tell you, during the meditation, I could see Jesus whispering into your left ear. I just couldn't tell or I couldn't hear what he was saying to you. That's evidential channel. So that's how my book starts. That's chapter one. You know? And um, so there were other people who came to my events who had similar experiences. Um, and those are all part of the book. And they orchestrated me connecting with all these people. Um, so I started doing those events in 2014. In 2018, just a year ago, I realized that part of the reason why I was doing all of these events all over the country every week was so this way they could connect me with these people who are having these experiences. And so these experiences could become part of the book. So, so other than your experiences and that of those whom you've encountered, were there any external resources, books, archives, or whatever that anyone... I didn't, I didn't want to read any other books for a couple of reasons. One, I was skeptical. And the other reason was because I didn't want somebody else's story to make their way into my story. You know what I mean? I wanted all this stuff to be real that I knew it was coming either from Mimi, my ex-girlfriend, or from people who I knew who I really, you know, who I had a relationship with. And honestly, there was so much information that was always coming through. I didn't really need to go to an outside source. Yeah, no, and we weren't, I wasn't speaking of you for your reference for your book as much as for the audience and listeners who might want to be doing deeper research themselves and don't necessarily have an opening yet to their own intuition about it. Well, there's a lot of books on, on channeling out there that you could you know, that you can buy that, that would be helpful. No, I meant, sorry, I meant the, like, the historical, like, the rest of the story kind of thing that was left out. Like, if you have become aware of any of those. Oh, okay, that, that's a good point. Yeah, now I understand what you're saying. Yeah, there was a really important thing that happened because, um, you know, when we were on our way to France, it just so happened that the day we were supposed to leave for France, Hurricane Irma hit Florida. And I was living in Miami at the time, and our, our flight was canceled because every airport in the state of Florida was canceled. And you remember there was this big thing on the news that they called it the, um, the mass exodus of South Florida. Yeah. There were over a million cars on Highway 95 leaving Southern Florida trying to get away from that hurricane. Mm -hmm. And we were one of those cars because our flight was canceled. We had to drive to Charlotte, North Carolina. It would have taken us 10 hours, but because there were a million cars on the highway, it took us 20 hours to get there. Wow. And then we transferred, you know, we got a flight to go to, to Paris from there. 
And I posted something on Facebook describing what it was like being in this traffic jam with a million cars. And there would be cars broken down on the side of the road with women holding babies and their car hoods were up. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy situation. And so I posted something on, on Facebook, send your prayers to the millions of people who are behind us in that traffic jam, right? Well, this woman who had come to one of my events and who was a psychic, sent me a private message on Facebook saying, when you get, I just got a message for you that when you get to France, make sure you go to the, um, to the church of St. Mary Magdalene in the South of France. And I'm like, wow, there's so little known about Mary Magdalene. I, I never heard of a church in her name. So what I did is when I had jet lag one night, I went on the internet. I just did a Google search to find out what's the story behind this church of St. Mary Magdalene. And it was right there. It came right up. And in the year 1279, Mary Magdalene appeared to this French nobleman and told this French nobleman that her bones were buried in a box under a church in a little village in the south of France called St. Maximine. Well, this was such a powerful dream. This French nobleman actually got a crew together went down to the south of France, found the village of St. Maximine, found the little church, went under the church, and he found this wooden box that was, was under the church that had bones in it, human bones in it. And when he opened up the box, there was a handwritten letter that said, here lie the bones of St. Mary Magdalene. Wow. Whoa. They renamed the town. It's a historical record when you name the town, you know? And they renamed the town St. Maximine Les St. Baum. And the word Baum in French means cave. Because Mary Magdalene lived in a cave close by in St. In Saint Maximine. So that's a historical, you know, when you change the name of a, of a town, that's in the books. You know, that's not somebody's interpretation or, every, or anything. And the incredible thing is that it's common knowledge in the south of France that Mary Magdalene lived in that cave. But what they don't know yet is that Jesus lived in that cave with her and they had their fourth child in the cave and that he lived to be 72 years old and Mary Magdalene lived to be in her 50s. Mm -hmm. Wow. They want people to know this. Yeah, okay. So and, so, and again, as far as the rest of that story, you've not encountered any outer um, records of it yet that other people could research on their own. Is that right? And I'm not saying that to question you. Uh, your story is wonderful and needs to be told, but rather because there will be people who, you know, who, for whom this sparks you know, an area of interest that they would like to discover more. Just go to the south of France. <laughs> really, just go to the, you can go to the cave where they lived um, and it'll take you an hour of climbing up this very steep hill. We had to stop 10 times to catch our breath. You know, and one of the miraculous things about that place is that that cave at the top of the mountain, it's so high up. Um, it's such a job to get up there. But they were really, really lucky because there was like a crack in the mountain. So there was trickling water that came down into the cave all the way up where they were. So they had water to live because she can't live without water. Mm -hmm. Did I answer that question enough? Oh, well, sort of, so not really. <laughs> so, I didn't feel like I did. No, so I was just wondering, like, uh, for instance, it's known in the south of France, and there's a cave, and they changed the name, etc. But I think you also said that they didn't necessarily know that Christ was a, or that Jesus was a part of 
the, that living arrangement uh, up until his 70s, right? So I, again, I'm just wondering, um, we've seen, I know that there are documentaries out there that are still trying to research and tr still trying to discover. I'm not current in whether there are any documented uh, resources out there that other people can look into or not. And that's what I was wondering, whether you had become aware of those since you published your own book. No, that, that information about him living in the cave with Mary Magdalene that, that's not common knowledge um, at all. I, this is the first book that, that I know of because, you know, there are people who come to my events who have written books mm -hmm. about this, you know. Um, there's a book called Anna, Grandmother of Jesus, who one of the editors of that book came to my event when I was in Phoenix. And um, she said there were many of the things that I was talking about that they had channeled from Anna, the woman who was the grandmother of Jesus as well. But as far as him living in the, in the cave with Mary Magdalene and having their fourth child, um, it's common knowledge that Mary Magdalene had a fourth child whose name was Sarah, S-A-R-A. -A. Um, but it's not common knowledge that, you know, that Jesus lived there together with them. Um, and he would have never lived and Christianity would never even exist if Mary Magdalene hadn't found a way to save him with the help of that Roman soldier. Because if, if he had died, they would have found his body, and there would have been no story. We wouldn't even know his name. The only reason why there's a story is because 2,000 years ago, most of the people in the Middle East were pagans, the same way the Native Americans are pagans, and the Vikings and the Celts were pagans. The pagans didn't have a Bible. They all worshipped the sun and the moon, and they had goddesses for, for different things, you know? Um, but... The pagans in the Middle East did not believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in, he in heaven. So they thought when you died, that was the end of it. It was like the TV channel just got turned off, right? The first thing that made people believe that there was an afterlife was when his body went missing, because the only thing that made sense was that God took his body up to heaven. I mean, a guy who's been tortured like that for six hours is not walking anywhere, mm -hmm. you know? And so because his body disappeared, that is what created Christianity, because it must have been that God took him up to heaven. Those people just didn't understand. They didn't know that he was on that cart. Mary Magdalene was riding the horse, and that's how they escaped. We wouldn't have Christianity if Mary Magdalene hadn't done that. Right. Well, we can, uh, we'll definitely link to your book. I noticed that it's on um, audiobook available on Amazon as well. As and it's in, it's in Spanish also. Um, the written book is available only in English, but the ebook is available in English and Spanish with the, the paintings part of the ebook. And there's also an audiobook in English and in Spanish. Now, the funny thing is that the English audiobook is three and a half hours. But the Spanish audio book, because I couldn't speak it so fast and I had to speak slower, is four and a half hours. So that's why the time difference is different. Fantastic. Well, you, uh, you read it yourself? I did. That's fantastic. Awesome. That's amazing. So That was a job. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a job. It's very, it is amazingly challenging to read audio. It doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but it is. It takes a lot more time than anyone would imagine. But to bring us back down a little bit to the earth, still though in a creative realm, um, if we could just close with two other um, answers from you as to one is what is your daily creative habits that sustain you in all that you're doing? And then beyond that, 
um, well, go ahead and answer that and then I'll ask the last one. Well, I've recorded 60 albums, so I don't really need to record really much more music. And over the last three years, since all of this stuff started happening, um, I would put all my creativity into the paintings, not knowing that these paintings were going to be part of the book until I was actually putting the book together. You know, there were a couple of paintings about the cave that I realized I was going to put in the book, but I didn't know I was going to have 50 paintings in the book and have every page be in full color. So, you know, it's all beautiful like that. Um, I put most of my creativity into painting. And if I did an event, like one of my meditation events, if I got back to my apartment at, you know, 1130, I would paint till two or three o'clock in the morning. And all that spiritual energy that, that had been created at the meditation event, I would put that energy into the paintings. I mean, I, I set up eight of my paintings at this one art gallery in Florida. And this guy had had this gallery for 25 years. And after we set up the eight paintings, he laid down on the couch. I said, what are you doing? He said, these paintings have so much spiritual energy, I gotta lay down. It's <laughs> awesome. You know? So I put most of my creativity into, into my paintings the last couple of years. Okay, and so, uh, and you meditate, what, twice a day, once a day? Generally? I meditate once a day, okay. once a day. Sometimes I'll meditate two times a day. Um, and I'll tell you, if you really want to make progress spiritually, if you meditate for an hour twice a day, you're going to make progress. If yeah. You're going to make progress. And how about for, okay, so as a creator, you know, art and music and now teaching and meditation retreats and workshops, um, of the things that you do, which one is the most productive for you uh, business-wise? Is it selling your art? Is it selling your CDs still, your music? Is it digital music on um, iTunes and what have you, Spotify? Like, what is it that... Well, I started selling thumb drives of my music that come with three albums or five albums of meditation music or eight albums of meditation music. And because all the new cars have got a USB where you charge your phone, what I didn't realize when I started to make these thumb drives is that you can plug a thumb drive into your USB in your car and it plays through your speakers of your car just the same way a CD does. So that's been, a, that's been a really good thing. And, you know, this book just came out last week. And so this is, this is a new thing. People love the book. Um, they love the fact that it has um, 90 minutes of music that you can activate through your cell phone through the QR codes. Um, you know, there's QR codes every couple of chapters um, that that's what the Q, QR code looks like. Um, so the book has music that has a soundtrack that's already built into the book. Wow. Now, I think it's the first... I think it's the first book that has music activated by QR codes like this before. Um, and right now I'm in Los Angeles because I'm working with a team of producers to have this book made into a film. Oh, wouldn't that be fantastic? Yeah. Wow, any ideas on the timeline for that? No. <laughs> well, I hope it's, a, it's a process. It's a long process. Everything is, right? I sure hope that works out because that would be wonderful mm -hmm. to see in film that would be amazing and your the, your book from what we've seen is very beautifully produced like you said it's in full color on every page it includes your art it almost um, looks music. and it's hard copy music qr mm -hmm. codes and it's almost like a um uh, almost like a textbook art museum textbook is in a way it's kind of what it looks like you know it, this book is kind of like a transmitter of spiritual energy because spiritual energy is experienced and seen as light and heard as sound 
And because all these paintings have that energy, and because I made so many of these paintings after I had been doing these meditation events for two and a half or three hours, you know, the colors of the book are so soothing and healing that while you're reading the book, underneath the words, you have these beautiful, soft colors, you know, which enhance the reading experience because it's not black words on a white page. You know, you're looking at all these beautiful, soft colors. And when you, you know, hook it up to your cell phone that you can use your Wi-Fi so it goes into your speakers, it's transmitting light energy and it's transmitting sound and vibrational energy. And so it becomes a, a transmitter of this heavenly energy that, you know, that people experience in the book. Right. I, I think after hearing this, people are going to definitely want to um, order your book as well as tune into your music. So we'll definitely link to all of that. And really thank you so much for your time, uh, for sharing your story, your amazing story. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to, to the next chapter, which will be the movie, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of work to do that. We already have the two-page treatment done. Um, I have a big event on Saturday in Beverly Hills with um, 12 of my paintings. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just doing everything I can so I can share this. Uh, it's, it's really important for, for them, the family, to be understood after all this time. You know, and because we're living in a time where it's safe to talk about spiritual things out in public, a lot safer than it was 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And as long as we're talking about 1,000 years ago, um, one of the messages that are, I, I'm getting better at my channeling now, you know, after all this time, you know. And Archangel Gabriel gave me this message that, um, you know, Mary Magdalene, there's, there's not that much written about Mary Magdalene that's so easy for people to find. But one of the ways that you can understand what kind of amazing soul Mary Magdalene is, is because he explained to me that Mary Magdalene later reincarnated as Joan of Arc. Mm. And so there's a lot more written about Joan of Arc that's easier to find, even though you can, you know, you can find books that are channeled by Mary Magdalene. But that just, for me, it just grounded it a little bit more to, because, you know, we know more about Joan of Arc. In, in history, you know. Especially resumed yeah. in France. And that would make sense that their family line, lineage was in France, mm. you know. And so she was like a granddaughter, 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 like how many generations. Um, and, you know, because we reincarnate in soul families, you know, and um, so it, it really makes sense. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. Well, again, David Young, thank you so much for sharing this time and space with us. My pleasure. Nice to meet you guys. Nice, nice to meet, meet you. you. Okay. All right, everybody. Enjoy this episode and check out his work. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for the I Create Daily podcast. Please let us know what creatives you would like us to interview and what topics you would be interested in hearing more about. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. We value your feedback. We read all the reviews and it just helps us get the word out on the I Create Daily podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.